Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Good morning, this is Paula Granquist, and you're tuned in to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show that celebrates creating and stories. And we are ready to, I think today, definitely we're going to be tuning our imaginations as we take a look at some beautiful music. And you know, one of the things that I've done since I started Art Zany Radio is I've t- entitled the opening segment, you never hear this, but in my notes, it says, Frame, Art Matters. Each week, I want to introduce a show to the show, uh, maybe a story, a quote, an idea, an experience that connects us to the arts. And I feature how art enters and enhances our life and shares bits about experiences in the art world. And each week, I'm so delighted to tell these stories about creativity and imagination or the way that art shapes our community. And I hope some of these inspire you to engage with the arts because art matters. And here's one of my arty stories from this week. I watched an episode of Minnesota Original, which is on uh, Minnesota Public Broadcast and PBS. I forgot the PBS. Okay. Stuart Pimsler Dance and Theater was the feature, and his company features performances and community-inclusive works. They create programs that help people express themselves through the creative process and reflect on the issues of our society. SPDT's interdisciplinary vision weaves movement, spoken text, song, and visual imagery to provoke and comment on the personal and political. I highly recommend you check out that episode. Again, the show is MN Original, and that was the Stuart Pimsler Dance Theater feature. And one of the things during the story that I was surprised to learn was that he started on the path to becoming a lawyer before he took a turn and studied ballet. And the most fascinating part of the piece about Stuart Pimsler for me was that he sees both the legal profession and the artistic profession as related paths because they both respond to the needs and experiences of citizens in society. He found that when he was studying law, he got frustrated with the legal system because of how long it takes for justice to proceed. This interest in dressing the experience of the citizen led him to becoming an artist. And as an artist, he could respond to an issue by creating a piece of art and then experience the immediacy of the response. He says, My interest as a citizen that attracted me to law is the same as my interest as a citizen artist, to be responsible and responsive citizen in the world. And I really liked that phrase, citizen artist, and I'm very intrigued by what that means. It makes me feel that we can and should look at how we all create the artistic world that surrounds us, that we all can be contributors because we are all members of this artistic community, and together we hold responsibilities and possibilities. Art matters, and that was an interesting angle that I had not thought about before, and I I keep thinking, so I hope that you will continue to think about that and think about ways that you know, you can engage and practice some citizen artistry. So there's a a lot of possibilities out there. And today on Art Zany Radio, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Clark Onasorje. And I practiced, but I think I just gooped. I did okay? Did okay. I did okay. We'll go with that. (laughs) 
Um, from the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra and Misha Edwards, the Northfield Arts Guild Performing Arts Manager. And we're going to preview the next CVRO concerts. You can get lots of details at northfieldartsguild.org. <coughs> Those concerts are this weekend, and we'll go over the details, um, one on Saturday at 3 and Sunday at 3. First one is at First UCC in here in Northfield and then down in Faribault at the Cathedral of Our Merciful Savior. We'll give you some of those details in a little bit. But it's very exciting. I, I just really I look forward to each concert that, that the CVRO does because there's always something amazing. And for folks that don't know the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra, it was founded in 1979 by Paul Nemisto, who is a great friend of Art Zany Radio and has come here many times to share his story about um, his concerts and programs. And it's a diverse group of volunteer musicians performing symphonic music, and they're drawn together by their love of rehearsing and performing this fine repertoire. And it was founded to help create and promote orchestral music culture in the Cannon Valley communities of southeastern Minnesota and probably Wisconsin. We'll learn a little more about that in a minute, too. So welcome to Arts Annie Radio. Maybe you want to take a minute and just introduce yourself so folks who um, don't, haven't, don't know you. It's been a few years, Clark, since you've been on. Uh, a little bit about yourself and your musical world and anything, any other details you want to share with yeah. our listeners. Thanks. Yeah, I moved to Northfield in... Uh, 1997 to teach at one of the local colleges and then um, after a few years I uh, ended up over at St. Olaf uh, and uh, ran into Paul and I don't know that must have been 15 years ago or so and longer if you were here uh, in 97 no I was I was teaching at Gustavus for about six years so I was okay kind of on the road a lot and didn't I don't think I got started then um, but I'd been a violinist all my life and played played at St. Olaf in the orchestra and so forth. So it was a, a natural, fun fit. And um, uh, well, it's just been a it's been a continually enjoyable thing to come together uh, mm -hmm. four or five times a year. Had you played in the interim, or was or were you like a lot of adults once you you you, you know to, you hadn't picked it up in a while, and then Paul kind of convinced you? No. No. no, I was a Suzuki violinist, so I everything that I knew how to play, I could still play because it's learning to play by ear is not the same thing as playing off the page uh, uh, of music. So I never really got out of practice, but I, I certainly hadn't played very much in graduate school in my first few years of being a professor. But you know, would pick it up once a month or something, and you know bang through some old things that were fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people may not know about Suzuki. It's um, a really interesting interesting way of learning. So maybe you want to say mm -hmm. a few words for people sure. out there that uh, yeah. have heard that word but aren't really sure. What does that mean? Well, it's the Suzuki, Shinichi Suzuki uh, was a member of a, a famous violin-making family in Japan. And after the well, World War II, I believe their factory was destroyed, and he um, became interested in, in promoting the learning of music. And he had this insight that, you know, it's a little bit lost these days because the method itself is so fun and cool that people kind of lose track of the theoretical background. But his notion was that a children, it's well, he called it the mother tongue method. Mm -hmm. And his notion was that children of all mental capabilities pretty much and uh, proclivities master their mother tongue by a couple of years old 
and he he looked at the situation. He thought, oh, okay, you have a supportive uh, environment. They're motivated to do it. The important people in their lives are more advanced than they are, so this provides scaffolding for um, an understanding. So in its original conceptualization, and I started here in 1966, or 67, I think, um, with Mark Bjork. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> well, that's just cool because Mark's a local. His dad was a famous professor at St. Olaf back in the years, and Mark grew up in town here before he went off to Indiana, where he was a fancy pants violinist. Um, <laughs> but um, the idea, the initial thing was that the mother, because this was the sexist 60s, the mother would start six weeks to three months taking lessons, and then she would be playing and practicing in the house and the kids would observe it and get an idea of what's going on. And then the kid would start uh, at a young age mm -hmm. and learn to play by ear. And so we used to listen to records a lot of, of the, cause it's a, a, a solitary repertoire that everybody works through. And then, um, so the kid would start, the mom would be able to do, do, do the sport at home. You'd have a weekly lesson. And then one of the things that is also a big feature is that you'd have a group lesson, which would, since there's, you know, a, a cadre of students with, a, with an instructor, um, there's some advanced students and less advanced students in a um, sort of a cascade. And so the group lesson starts with the oldest persons playing the most advanced pieces. So, again, the kids could learn and it creates a social environment. And then they'd work down through mm. um, the repertoire, the easier, easier things until everybody's playing. So I, this a, is an, uh, information I didn't know, and I didn't even expect that you'd have all those details. That's fascinating. Well, I'm a professor, and I, you know, <laughs> or I was. And I, I mean, it's back when I started, um, there was a lot of similarity in that and a lot of community, and um, uh, lots of people followed that, and it's very, it's very nice. So I, I still have, you know, a pretty solid memory of all those pieces I learned because – a, I learned to play them myself by ear, you know, which mm -hmm. is by listening to them and then playing them, um, and um, also by hearing them, you know, just in a sort of a continuous way, which, yeah. which makes for a nice foundation. And Suzuki also picked a really nice repertoire, you know, Bach double concerto and a couple of Vivaldi concertos and Mozart and um, some of the humoresque right? by Dvorak. And yeah, right, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, you might be familiar, is what everybody starts with, and then you work up through. It's fascinating um, how it yeah. has some similarities to, you know, how we learn to read and That's his whole you know, point. And and now they're doing some of those things. I know my kids we used to have an app where we were we learned math kind of in a oh, it was what was it called? A bedtime math, I think it was called. So it's really fascinating and and you know, I think that uh the that's probably a, a really great way to, you know, be immersed in something. You're not doing even know you're learning, right? You're just experiencing. Well, and things. that doesn't, you know, a lot of people get the wrong idea about learning. Kids like to learn. Yeah, kids are enjoy it. It's not an onerous task. And the funny thing is, I've told my teacher many times because Mark and I remained close, and he's friendly and um, very supportive and a real true educator. He was the. Um, taught at the University of Minnesota for many years and was the president of the American Suzuki Foundation. And um, and I taught statistics for many years. And I swiped so many ideas from <laughs> my experience in Suzuki because math is a skill 
just exactly like language or music, right? Yeah. And it's, you, you get worked up thinking about it intellectually. There's a syntactic side and a semantic side, and you, you know, do some set of things and produce a result. And, you know, one of the things that I, I took from that was that we just did a lot of hand calculation for in in ways that were designed to help people to understand how to do because the general experience especially with statistics or research methods or things like that is that people learn to do things on an algorithmic basis which is mm. kind of plug and chug you might think of it and you know that doesn't really leave you with an understanding of how those formulas produce an outcome given a, a uh, an input and um or a way to discern, you know, from that information things that uh, right. you can then use or or take to other other skills that you might be working mm -hmm. on too. Yeah. So that's last thing is that there are several folks around that offer Suzuki style uh, lessons for kids, and um, in fact, Paul's wife Eleanor teaches harp. And it, it was kind of cool because it started with violin and then mm -hmm. expanded to cello very quickly. And piano came on in the early 70s. And I was a little surprised a couple of years ago to hear that Eleanor was, um, who's fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. A tremendous um, harpist. But she has a, a bunch of students. And I believe that she uses, or she teaches at least some of her students in the Suzuki method, which is nice. Yeah, well, that, I, that is amazing. So what a great, great story and little uh, insight into that. I'm glad I mm -hmm. asked that question. Oh, good. <laughs> and we also have joining us Misha Edwards. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, you are. How long have you been now at the Northfield Arts Guild as a performing arts manager? It's just six months. Am I? That's about right. Yeah. yeah. The middle, middle of October. So you may be getting your footing. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you haven't gone through a full, full cycle of, and there's a lot happening. And so I think it's really exciting for um, folks to know. Um, well, first we should, should hear a little about your background because before we jump into the connection between CVRO and Northfield Arts Guild. Um, I moved to Northfield. I'm not going to try to do the math. It was in 2006, I think. Really? Yeah. So I've been here. 17. Is that 17? Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I have loved this town. My, we were brought here for a job at St. Olaf College, my husband's, because people always ask me that. Um, and we've lived so many places, but Minnesota is home. So really appreciate being here appreciate i feel like i'm always learning something new though meeting new people mm -hmm. cvro this is my first experience with cvro and working with them i think we're figuring some things out for a partnership for sure um yeah and, and you've done theater uh, that has been your uh forte and that's and i'm surprised it was only 17 years it feels like you've been you know doing acting directing for a long time well i have been 25 years, okay. and I went to school for it, master's um, in directing and theater education. So, yeah, but learning the admin side full-time is a challenge, and <coughs> but it's, it's fantastic because I feel like I learn something new every day. We were talking about learning. It's mm -hmm. fun, mm -hmm. and uh, there's never an age where you should stop. I mean, yes. why? Why would you? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that as you said that, how much we've learned about the brain and how it is, you know, so that I think they used to think there was, here's the, the time frame that you can take something and learn something new, but now they're learning about all, you know, the ways that the pathways can be reintroduced and, you know, brain elasticity is a phrase that you'll hear. And so I was thinking about those methods. It'd be really interesting to know if you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 
can you begin a new instrument with a Suzuki method? I don't know. That would be an interesting question to consider. Sure. And, you know, one of the one of the findings, you know, and I'm getting older now. One of the findings, though, that if people have noted for years is that and and I'm a cognitive scientist, so I really I steer kind of clear of the easy statements about this. But in a lot of ways, melody um, is a property of the right hemisphere of the brain compared to the left hemisphere. And so it's not uncommon for folks who have strokes or other difficulties that cause problems with language uh, to still be able to um, recall songs and sing and mm -hmm. uh, use speech that's elicited in a rhythmic or musical manner uh, because there's, there's a sort of a property that's often spared in folks that lose um, regular productive language functions. Mm -hmm. And so it's, as you might know, there are lots of areas where people use music therapy, especially with older folks, um, as a as a stimulating uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm with Misha. It's never, you never should stop learning. Like once your formal education is done, there's always opportunity. And that's what one thing I love about our community is there are ways to engage with, you know, the arts. And we're learning more and more about how the arts are, you know, essential to just health, right? <laughs> well, and here's for your reading pleasure. I, this book happened to cross my mind yesterday. I think it's called 10,000 Mornings of Music. Mm. And it's about a guy who, in his later years, decides to go back to the violin. Uh, you know, one of those folks who had played a little bit as a kid and uh, um, let it lapse for many years. And then he ended up taking up lessons again and becoming kind of a devotee. And so the funny, the the thing that always sticks with me is that he had a klotz violin, which is a famous violin-making family from Mittenwald, Germany, that made rather nice, you know, 70th percentile, 75th percentile quality violins back in the uh, early 1700s. Mm. Um, and um, so he was, he was a lot like a lot of the folks in the orchestra. You know, we have a lot of folks who played in orchestras all their life, and then, you know, things happen and kids happen and jobs happen and moves happen, and all of a sudden... You know, you're looking for a place, <laughs> right? And you know, Paul provides such a mellow and supportive environment. Um, and I'll just throw this in, just because I trick him into saying this every once in a while. And he's a total educator. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he did his. Well, I can't count the years. You do a seventy-nine minus twenty-one, I suppose. Um, but he did his years at Saint Olaf in the band department. Forty-two. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds about right. And um, one of the things he'll say on occasion is, oh, I picked the repertoire because I want to stretch the orchestra. It's mm -hmm. not just about the audience. You know, I want, because, you know, sometimes we play Americana stuff, you know, it's our spring and fall concerts lately, and and then picks out repertoire that features fantastic local people like Deza and Marty Hodel. Mm -hmm. um, but he's also looking to sort of, and I, okay, I'll just say curate a repertoire that expands the capacities of the folks in the orchestra. 
Exactly. So. And that, I think that's why I like going to the concerts is uh, reading the programs, learning about the backstories of the music. There's always some uh, element of ed- music education that happens. And then being reconnected with those those pieces. And Paul sometimes does some, as a conductor, some mm-hmm. uh, you know intro piece. To... He's a professor. He can't help himself. <laughs> that's you know, right. that's, that's good, too. Cause it it's... is. It's a learning experience. What, tell me, as a player, what is it, um, you know, how do you find out what's on the program for each concert? And- well, we have a board or council with the orchestra, and we talk about the next season's uh, programming, and we think about what would be fun, and then Paul decides what he's going to select, and we organize the music. And um, so we we typically... Those of us who are kind of on the inside of the organizational thing, we know a couple of months ahead of time. And mm-hmm. then um, thank you for this opportunity because uh, I did want to mention our fantastic librarian, Heather Scott, who's, mm-hmm. you know, every organization has a person like Heather, and she gets together all the music. Yeah, let's talk about that because it it is um, something people often don't think about, how you find the music uh, to perform. And, you know, I'm not even sure how you would organize all that. Uh, So I'd love to hear a little if you have some insight into her ability to keep that all together for you. In the past, we've had a nice relationship with St. Olaf College because they, of course, have a big musical library. And... um, Lux uh, is a, a company down surprisingly close to us here that will rent orchestral scores or, you know, band music. And the oh, Red Wing Public Schools, we used to get some music from. And, you know, on occasion, we just buy it online and print it out. Mm-hmm. And then Heather, through some kind of genius magic, um, <laughs> has an understanding of what the personnel is going to be. And then we've got a bunch of folders and she organizes all the parts and um puts them in folders and then we put out the word and um rob from by all means graphics uh another one of our local support allies who you know Mm -hmm. in addition to doing programs and postcards and posters and all sorts of things uh he makes his place available so the music gets placed down there a few weeks before our first rehearsal and people come in and sign out you know just on kind of a check out the catch music, as catch yeah. can basis come in and check out the music and take it home and you know in some cases look at it on the music stand for a couple of weeks and in some cases start practicing and get busy and uh yeah, and I think that's something that folks don't often think about, at least, and this is something I'm learning more about, is the uh, part of the the cost of putting on a concert is that music. Sometimes there Oh, it are, can be horrible. Right, depending on the piece. Uh, there's some that are less expensive, but some that are even unattainable because of those barriers. And I think that's um, something that if we can help educate folks about the, uh, you know, way, way that the orchestra works and how when you, you know, purchase your ticket, what you're supporting and kind of making that, that possible. Well, and I'll just say one of the concerts that we worked hard at to do, which we did for a couple, we actually, we did this a couple of times with a projection of movie scenes and then mm-hmm. scores, mm-hmm. you know, from like the Cowboys and Harry Potter and um, Lord of the Rings. And those those things are still under copyright and can be kind of expensive. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's it's still fun. 
So it's one of the suggestions we often get. And I'll mention this, too. We, um, a couple years ago, we moved more towards a donation model, a, a sort of free will offering model rather than, strictly speaking, purchasing tickets ahead of time, just because a lot of folks may not plan ahead two months to come to our orchestra concert. And it turns out to be a beautiful Saturday afternoon and um, they come in and they got 20 bucks in their wallet or something like that. And so we have a, we push for general fee or fee, sorry, but you know, a contribution of 15 bucks for adults and maybe 10 bucks for kids, but we're also pretty family friendly. And you know, one of the things we really want is if you've got four kids that you want to take to a concert, we don't want you to have to kick out 50 bucks or 60 bucks unless you feel like it's a good idea. Right, exactly. Um, I think so, that's really generous of the orchestra to do that, and that gives me an opportunity to mention to everybody that those CVRO concerts, is there a title for this spring concert? Not that I could find. You know, there probably is, but I forgot to bring a program. Okay, so so you come to the concert and you'll find out the, uh, <laughs> the what what is the tying thread of, of all of this music. Do you know, Misha? No, we uh, celebration should be probably in the word. Exactly, yes. it probably is. And so, folks, if you're interested, the, and these are always great experiences. I love going to the CVRO concerts. You've got two opportunities this weekend, Saturday, the fourth of March, twenty twenty-three, at three p.m. The first concert is at First United Church of Christ, three hundred Union Street in Northfield, Minnesota, and then the orchestra does the same concert on the second day, on Sunday, the fifth of March. 2023 at 3 p.m. at the Cathedral of Our Merciful Savior. That's located in Faribault at 515 2nd Avenue Northwest. Both are pretty iconic uh, places in the communities and pretty easy to find. So, and they both have uh, beautiful, uh, you know, venues for presenting music. So it's it's a wonderful experience to be in those spaces. And as you mentioned, tickets. There's a suggested adult of fifteen dollars, ten dollars for seniors and students. You can go online and get those ahead of time at northfieldartsguild.org under arts click on the music and the cvro link and that'll take you to buying tickets but you can also show up the day of the concert and there'll be a spot for you and as as clark mentioned there's they're not going to turn anybody away they want to have people in the audience and it's a it's um wonderful that 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 opportunity Mm -hmm. exists and so uh we want to talk about um the concert and sponsoring and supporting. And that's, that's, I think one of the roles that the guild plays is trying to support the orchestra. And if, um, what have you learned in your short tenure here about the, um, (laughs) did you just track it down? Let's hear kids and their phones, you know, there are no, there are no secrets anymore. Oh, I love that you call me a kid. I'm going to assume you were talking about me. Um, It's classical spectacular. I apologize for blanking on that. A little bit of stage fright, I think. Classical spectacular. And it does sound like that. And so um, it is is really great that there is this relationship between the Arts Guild and Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra because you can help support uh, the organization. And um, that connection is something that not everybody knows. True. We have um, arts under the, the umbrella of the Northfield Arts Guild, more than the theater. And that's something we're going to be working on is being sure people understand that we're all one big community organization for everyone. 
And I will tell you this, CVRO is so strong. They have so many strong volunteers. They almost could run like their own organization, and I probably shouldn't have said that. They are their (laughs) own organization. They almost don't need us, but I hope they don't realize it. So we're going to assume we're just going to pretend like I didn't say that. Amazing volunteers as well as talented people. And that is one thing that I really appreciate about the arts we have, but particularly CVRO. Once people graduate from college and maybe they were involved in music, there really isn't a place for them to go as life goes on, as Clark said. So this gives talented musicians, they get to practice their their craft, their skills, their talent, Mm -hmm. and they get to share it with us. We get to... for them to share it with us that was really awkward no I it's it, fabulous we benefit from it and yeah. it is it's it's a great asset to our community and this concert the classical spectacular um we have an amazing you sent me some links to a few um mm-hmm. performances that we can uh share with folks because it, you know there's I don't know. I just, I was, each one I listened to, I said, oh, I love that. And then the next one I, I liked even more. And it's um, featuring some, some local artists. So where should we start? Should we start with the, um, let's start with Borodine. Is that how you say it? Do you know? Borodine. Yeah. Borodine. It's the overture to Prince Igor. And it is a piece that I was unfamiliar with. And uh, anything, anything you want to do to introduce it before we go ahead and uh, play a little bit of, of the, the preview? I will just say that it's not the better-known Polovetsian dances, um, which many of us thought that it was going to be. Mm. And again, back to Paul, in his cunning way, <laughs> he understood most of us would have played that at some Polovetsian dances at some point. And this is another beautiful classical piece. And uh, since we hadn't played it, it was an opportunity for many of us to you know, come in and learn something that we were not already as familiar with as Polovetsian dances. Right. And it also um, talked about the uh, St. Petersburg. It, it celebrates the um, his his uh, love of this town and c- celebrates that. So we'll take a listen to a selection from it to give you a taste of the Borodin Prince Igor Overture. And so let's just get started and start... <coughs> Tuning our minds as we take a listen to music on Art Zany Radio.
folks, that is Borodine, Prince Igor Overture. That's a little taste for you of that uh, performance. And just a a great, great uh, introduction to one of the pieces that will be on the Classical Spectacular this weekend. That was the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra and uh, really lovely rendition of that. So I thank you for uh, sending me that so we could share it with our listeners. We also have it so there are a, a great variety of, of music, but a couple of the pieces feature some local folks who are, um, you know, people people will know. And one of those is the Brahms Alto Rhapsody. And uh, this is featuring the soloist who's done, done a few things with the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra, uh, Disa Stats. And she's a soprano who has a voice that just... I think I just, every time I listen to her, it's just astounding, right? You just kind of fall into this place of being mesmerized and drawn in. Uh, She just has a a glorious voice, and that must be quite a treat for the orchestra as well to hear her. Yeah, she's done, I'm embarrassed I can't remember the names of several of the pieces, but she's performed with us several times over the years and um, has been a regular with, uh, I believe, well, we did some selections from Carmen a few years ago, and then um, uh, yes, we've done Handel's Messiah a few times, or, or sections of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And um, she's been a fantastic, uh, and I, I, I guess as long as, if we're going to listen to a little of her piece now, I'm going to mention that one of the nice things is about being in a town that's so loaded with talent is um, that uh, along with Disa, we've got, uh, four uh, male singers who are backing her up. And I thought I'd mention Michael Bush is a tenor. Phil Peterson is a tenor. He also used to be our secretary for the orchestra and plays with us a lot. Um, he's uh, multi-talented. Multi-talented. <laughs> and Brian Reed, who, uh, uh, well, he's a, he's a faculty spouse from Carleton and works in the IT department there. And uh, does some acting as well. He's been on stage and just, again, another multi-talented person in our community. He's the dude. He also plays violin with us. So we're making, he's he's singing in part (laughs) of the concert and then he's sitting in uh, coming to join the orchestra for the uh, other half of the concert. And uh, Brian's a baritone. And as as you mentioned, he's recently been in plays at the Guild. And then Chuck Halley as uh, bass. So those guys are all going to be, I shouldn't have probably said backing Disa, but if it's a you know, soprano-focused thing, that uh, might be appropriate. Right, but. and so we have a clip of a performance with the soloist Jesse Norman, and this is Alto Rhapsody by Brahms, and it is, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a spectacular piece. I think I'm just going to start it from the beginning because uh, there's, a, a lot to to see in this piece. I think it starts out with the orchestra and then goes on and we'll hear a little bit of what you're going to hear if you come to the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra concert uh, this weekend. So let's take a listen to the piece uh, Alto Rhapsody by Brahms.
That was Jesse Norman singing, and I believe, let's see, I've got the name here. That was the uh, Choral Art Society of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Orchestra conducted by Ricardo Muti. I thank her for singing that for us. Wow, what a voice. And uh, also know that um, Disa has equally as uh, in gauging voice and I was uh, thinking Clark as as that was playing about uh, each of you practice your parts when you are uh, you know at at home right alone and then you come together and so then when you add a singer into it for your rehearsals tell me how you um, work that out because that's uh, I think that's a bit tricky to uh, follow with a singer and get everybody on the sure well we have with the orchestra we have frequently five to six rehearsals for a given concert. And in the way, the trickiest thing is scheduling the various performers because, you know, we have a two-hour rehearsal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in several of these places, their their contribution is only 20 minutes long. And so we'll run through something several times and work on the hard spots. But, you know, Deez's got kids. She's got a job. Um, Marty's got a job. Um we all have jobs. <laughs> uh, well, most of us. Right, uh, yeah. Or something like it. And so, you know, we try to schedule them to come in and, and work on the hard stuff and play it. And uh, and everybody practices at home. And as you said, um, back when uh, uh, we, we collected data on volunteer contribution hours, and it's kind of staggering when you think of an orchestra of 40 to 50 people. You know, and then I'm going to throw in, as you hinted before, we've got these nice guys coming from lacrosse now. Mm-hmm. Um, they they came as part of the Wagner horns for our fall thing after having played in Paul's um, uh, other musical adventure, the Village Band Festival. Vintage. Vintage. <laughs> Thank you. You're yeah, welcome. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> Vintage it is like a village festival, that yes. comes to Northfield right? every few years. It's, yeah. But, you know, we have folks from Owatonna, and we have folks from Red Wing, and in the past from New Ulm and uh, Prior Lake. And, um, you know, that's one of the kind of amazing things is that he's pulled together this collection of folks. And and it is nice to be in a place with, like uh, St. Olaf, where we've got fine musical faculty at Carleton and St. Olaf, and Paul knows them all. And... Um, so we can get folks like Deso or Marty Hodel, who I think we're going to We are going to preview about a little bit, bit about, now, because yeah. he is playing on a piece that is the Joseph Hayden Concerto E-flat. And this uh, selection we're going to play for you features the trumpet soloist Alison Balsam, and that was part of a BBC performance, and it's called the BBC Proms. It is, I'm, I'm not going to get to the end, but, I had chills when I was listening to her perform, and I know Marty is equally as talented, so this one is really going to be a highlight for everybody to hear, and I think anything you want to add before we just jump in and play some of this music? Yeah, one last snippet by me, which uh, is something that I was just musing about. Um, Talking about Paul's programming, uh, one of the really cool things that he does is he pulls together a set of music that gives you a little taste of fine vocal performances, uh, orchestral performances, soloist. We've had multiple violinists over the years, and uh, Francesca Andreg played the Sibelius mm-hmm. last fall, and her mm-hmm. husband, we played a, a 
concerto that he had written. Mm-hmm. I mean, not a concerto, but a, a, a symphonic piece that we had commissioned to celebrate the um, anniversary of the orchestra. And it makes them nice performances in kind of a family-friendly way or a, a way for folks to come that maybe don't... Well, it, it, there's little variety in there. Mm-hmm. So here's a big big groovy trumpet solo and then we've got this beautiful choral singer and we got a little orchestral piece and a nice uh um Sibelius false triste a little you know kind of a light waltz piece and it, it makes for a nice uh sort of a smorgasbord instead a, of just a a uh, great way to spend saturday or yeah, sunday afternoon right let's get in some of this preview because i don't want to miss out the opportunity to hear uh, a little bit from this piece this is again the um allison Balsam on Hayden Trumpet Concerto in E flat. You've got to hear this, it's so incredible. Concerto uh, and just uh, amazing. Allison Balsam is is just an incredible trumpet performer who I didn't know before this, and I'm thrilled that we got the chance to listen to that. I think Jesse Norman was singing through part of the opening of that, and that was my fault. That is not how that sounds. Uh, forgot to hit pause on on her performance. It was a little uh, didn't catch that on, on the underground there. So uh, come to the concert, the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra concert, Saturday at three and Sunday at three. Uh, Saturday at the First United Church of Christ in Northfield. Sunday. 
at the Cathedral of Our Merciful Savior in Faribault. But also going on this weekend, and the good news is that you don't have to choose, is that there are a few other happenings in Northfield. So go ahead, Amisha, and tell us about some of the other arts opportunities. Dollhouse opens tonight at the Northfield Arts Guild Theater. The amazing thing is tomorrow you could go to the concert, CVRO's concert, and then go to see a play. So we have an arts-filled weekend. And then CVRO, of course, as Paula mentioned, on Sunday in Faribault. So it's many choices, and but you better catch CVRO this weekend because this is their only concert weekend. So... Playing in Ibsen's Dollhouse runs two weekends, both the 3rd through the 5th and the 10th through the 12th. So folks can catch either of those. And uh, there is an Arts Annie Radio. If you want to go back to our archives at kymnradio.net, you can click on that. Mark Robinson, the director, Rolf Craigseth, and Lily Schuler joined me to uh, highlight that. It's one of my favorite plays, and I love what Mark has done with this. They called him a mad genius during our interview, and it's something you've never seen, even if you've seen play. Uh, a dollhouse by Ibsen. This is playing in Ibsen's dollhouse. They have uh, reworked it a bit and given it some uh, ways of, of, of relating to it with the modern world, and it's going to be spectacular, so I cannot wait. So, folks, lots happening. NorthfieldArtsGuild.org, or you can stop downtown to the Arts Guild at 304 Division Street to get your tickets or inquire about anything happening. You've been listening to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. I want to thank my guests today, Misha Edwards and uh, Clark Onasorge. Did I do okay? You don't need to hit the last syllable. Okay, Onasorge. Yeah. Okay, got it. I'm not sure. If we were German. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for being kind about that. And always make sure that you add some arts any to your life. And of course, in the meantime, always remember to enjoy your imagination. Hey, can I toss in one more thought? Okay. Quick. Okay. It's, as always, it, it's nice to thank some of our supporters, in particular the CMAC, the Southeast Minnesota Arts Council. Community Resource Bank has been somebody that's supported us for many years and um do you remember any of the other folks that are listed in the program always uh, be sure to take a look at the program and support those people who support Thank the you. arts that's good because i could i couldn't really remember that's it's a wonderful thing to do folks enjoy your imagination you've been listening to art zany radio for the imagination with your host paula granquist art zany is brought to you each week by the northfield arts guild and by the paradise center for the arts in faribault The Paradise Center for the Arts is a vibrant cultural and artistic gathering spot in historic downtown Faribault. The Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. Regular events spotlight some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces, in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507-332-7372. 